Okay, do me a favor. Call up Norman Craig and come on. Make an appointment for me today at 4 o'clock. It's the Friday before Christmas. Yeah, I know that, but it's still a work day. From Chicago, this is The Unenthusiastic Critic, a podcast about destroying your marriage one movie at a time. Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Unenthusiastic Critic. I'm Michael McDonough. I write about film and television at unaffiliatedcritic.com. With me today, to gather incontrovertible evidence for our own inevitable divorce proceedings, is my lovely wife, Nakia, also known as the Unenthusiastic Critic. Hello. On today's episode, Nakia and I are sitting down for her first viewing of Robert Benton's Oscar-winning divorce drama, Kramer vs. Kramer, from 1979. Nakia, we're watching Kramer vs. Kramer, theoretically as part of our December marathon of Christmas-adjacent movies. Mm -hmm. But I'll be honest from the start and tell you that it just barely qualifies. Okay. There's one scene that takes place during a Christmas party, not a particularly important scene, and that is the thin branch on which I'm hanging this particular ornament. I appreciate the honesty. But I wanted to cram Kramer vs. Kramer into our schedule for a couple of reasons. First, it opened December 19th, 1979, or 40 years ago this week. Mm -hmm. So the timing seemed right. And then secondly, there's been a lot of conversation in recent weeks about Noah Baumbach's Marriage Story, which is currently playing on Netflix. And a lot of people have compared it to Kramer vs. Kramer. Okay. You, You have not watched that movie, I believe. I tend to avoid movies that just seem to be... Pretty white people with problems. Um, and I also... This explains why you avoid, avoid most movies. A lot of things when it sounds like, oh, that's pretty white people with problems. And I have also seen, thanks to Twitter, a clip of what I assume is sort of the pivotal moment or, uh, in the film where they're fighting and Adam Driver yells something to the effect of like, I hope you get hit by a bus or something like that. And I laughed at it and so yeah. that told me all I needed to know about how I was going to receive that film and I'm just you know I have also um soured on Scarlett on Johansson, Scarlett Johansson so yes, understandably. there's a whole bunch of reasons why and for what it's worth I have seen the best film that Noah Baumbach has ever written no this is going to be good it's called Highball, and I highly suggest <laughs> that everyone watch it. Okay. I think this was, that was one of his first, might have been his first movie. Mm-hmm. I believe he has since disowned it, basically. <laughs> but let me ask you, you have seen Highball because I forced you to watch it. Mm-hmm. Because it's one of the two DVDs you own. Yes. Is it better than Marriage Story? If I am honest... <laughs> I enjoyed it more than marriage There story. you go. That's all you need to know about that then. So. <laughs> well argued. Thank you. <laughs> okay, so I don't want to derail this with a conversation about marriage story. I did watch it. I watched it just for this purpose. Because mm-hmm. uh, I didn't, I wasn't particularly interested in it either. I think that scene that's being shared on Twitter is taken out of context. Mm -hmm. Nonetheless, I do personally think it's the worst scene in the movie. Okay. I didn't love the movie, but I didn't hate the movie. It's just there. I didn't really care Mm -hmm. about them and their problems. So there's that. Okay. (laughs) It struck me as a mid-period Woody Allen movie, only not as interesting. Yeah, I, I was not into it. And I actually don't think these two movies have that much in common. Marriage Story is really about the marriage Mm -hmm. and about the relationship between these two people. Kramer vs. Kramer is more about parenting and child custody. Mm. There's only a couple of scenes between Dustin Hoffman and Meryl Streep in this movie, so it's not really about the same kind of relationship dynamics. Mm -hmm. But I think a lot of the debate around Marriage Story seems to be centered on the question of choosing sides, of people deciding who's right and who's wrong and who's to blame Mm -hmm. and... And I think that conversation is very relevant to Kramer versus Kramer. I think that's probably going to come up in our discussions. Okay. I've, I've seen a lot of articles suggesting that Marriage Story sort of demonizes the wife a little bit. Um, and that this was Noah Baumbach retelling the story of his own divorce, and it's from his perspective. Most of the movie is from the point of view of the man. I think that's a fair criticism. I think that's definitely going to come up in this movie. Uh, but what do, you, what do you actually know about Kramer versus Kramer? Uh, not very much. I know that it is Dustin Hoffman and Meryl Streep as divorced parents mm-hmm. of a son, I think. Yep. 
And for some reason, and I could be totally wrong on this, I feel like Meryl is the one with the job. Or like the better, the better, she's in the better economic position than Dustin Hoffman is, but I could be wrong on that. Okay, I think that I, that might be true at a certain point in the movie, okay. but we'll, we'll see. In an excerpt from his street biography that was published in Vanity Fair, uh, Michael Shulman wrote about how the producers of this movie basically saw it as Benjamin and Elaine in The Graduate Mm -hmm. ten years later. After their impulsive union (laughs) has collapsed from the inside, Shulman writes. The movie would be a kind of generational marker, tracing the baby boomers from the heedlessness of young adulthood to the angst of middle adulthood. No one was yet calling people like the Kramers yuppies, but their defining neuroses were already in place. And then later in that article, he says, As the producers had hoped, it was received less as a movie than as a cultural benchmark. A snapshot of the fractured American family circa now. Vincent Camby of the New York Times wrote Kramer vs. Kramer as a Manhattan movie, yet it seems to speak for an entire generation of middle-class Americans who came to maturity in the late 60s and early 70s, Sophisticated in superficial ways, but still expecting the fulfillment of promises made in the more pious Eisenhower era. And I think this is going to be an interesting time capsule movie. Mm -hmm. Um, This was a point where divorce was a hot topic. The divorce rates in America had been sort of skyrocketing, partially because of the introduction of no-fault divorce Mm -hmm. laws, which had not been a thing Previously, if you wanted to get divorced, you had to prove infidelity or abuse or something like that. And since most divorces are filed by women, that was, it was basically made it hard for women to get out of unhappy marriages. The introduction of no-fault divorce laws made that a little easier. So this was a hot topic. And this movie was huge in a way that could not happen today. This was the number one grossing movie of 1979. Hmm. And it's impossible to imagine a movie like this even breaking into the top ten box office these days. This movie beat Rocky II, Star Trek The Motion Picture, Alien, Moonraker, and The Muppet Movie. Wow. Yeah, that's, it's bizarre. Again, this would be a little Netflix movie today. It was nominated for nine Oscars, and it won Best Picture, Best Director, Best Actor for Dustin Hoffman, Best Supporting Actress for Meryl Streep, and Best Screenplay. So almost a sweep of the Oscars that year. Roger Ebert, in his four-star review, said, Kramer vs. Kramer wouldn't be half as good as it is, half as intriguing and absorbing, if the movie had taken sides. Hollywood has traditionally approached stories like this from the child's point of view, showing him unhappy and neglected by the grown-ups, but what if the grown-ups aren't really grown-up? What about a family in which everybody is still basically a kid, crying for attention and searching for identity? That's the case here. Which is interesting. I'm not sure I agree with it. I'm kind of eager to rewatch this and see what you think of it, whether you think it treats both sides fairly. Okay. But we shall see. There's a lot to talk about with this movie. There's a lot to talk about with the making of this movie. But I think it's best if we we do it after we watch the movie. So we should probably skip right to that. All right. Okay, let's go watch it. All right, a little closer together. Come on, smile. That's it. Hold it. Isn't this terrific? Columbia Pictures presents Dustin Hoffman and Meryl Streep in Kramer vs. Kramer. I just got to call the office before they go. Joe, you're going to be real proud of me. I'm leaving you. Was this some kind of joke? Did you know that all the best chefs are men? You got some shell in there. Oh, it's all right. You like your French toast crunchy, don't you? <laughs> no, Mommy always buys the kind with the orange circles on it. I want my son. You can't have him. What makes you so sure he doesn't want me? Late. I'm not that late to him. Only 20 minutes. All the other mothers were there before you. It will never happen again, okay? I'm not saying he doesn't need his father, but I really believe he needs me more. I'm his mother. <gasps> My wife says that she loves Billy, and I believe she does, but I'd like to know what law is it that says that a woman is a better parent simply by virtue of her sex? Wow. Huh? How does it feel? Good. Okay, keep it going. Keep it going. Keep it going. That's terrific. I love you, Billy. Oh, that's terrific. How do you feel? Good. You look great. Kramer versus Kramer. And we're back. <laughs> During the break, Nikki and I watched Kramer vs. Kramer. Nikki, as I think I mentioned, Kramer vs. Kramer was nominated for nine Oscars. 
It won Best Picture, Best Director, Best Actor for Dustin Hoffman, Best Supporting Actress for Meryl Streep, and Best Adapted Screenplay. Additionally, Jane Alexander was nominated as Margaret. It was nominated for Cinematography and Editing, and young Justin Henry, at eight years old, became the youngest ever Oscar nominee, a record he still holds. Speaking of which, I would have said that I never saw that kid again, and then I looked him up. He was Molly Ringwald's obnoxious little brother in Sixteen Candles. Do you remember him? Vaguely. (laughs) Once I realized that's who he was, I recognized him from that. But uh, apparently at the Oscar ceremony, the story is that he was so inconsolable about losing the Academy Award, they had to call over Superman, Christopher Reeve. (laughs) was the only other person at the Oscars that he recognized, so he came over to to console Justin Henry. Charles Champlin of the Los Angeles Times called Kramer vs. Kramer as nearly perfect a film as can be and a motion picture with an emotional wallop second to none. Pauline Kael, on the other hand, famously hated it with a fiery passion. Mm. Uh, I couldn't actually find her original review. Her stuff is annoyingly hard to find online. It's not archived anywhere. Uh, But I did find this comment. She said, I don't think movies have gotten near the sexual revolution yet. We shouldn't settle for a Ms. Magazine editorial disguised as a character that we get in the Meryl Streep role in Kramer vs. Kramer. Burn. (laughs) What did you make of this movie? So, I'm a little bit conflicted about Kramer vs. Kramer. Okay. I think it is well done and well acted on the part of everyone involved. Mm. It's a really well-made movie. It's a really well-made movie. It almost feels like a play, mm-hmm. but I didn't really connect with it. You didn't connect with it emotionally? Emotionally. Okay. And to Pauline Kael's point, it felt very sort of anti-feminist. Yeah. Um, and the sort of tone of it seemed to be mocking of the idea of like a women's lib. Right. Um, so... Well, I st- I st- we started out talking about, you know, how a lot of the reviews and critics commented on this movie being fair to both sides. Mm-hmm. And I said we would get back to that question. So I don't think that that's possible when one side is a phantom for most of the film. Right. So we as an audience are not given the benefit of seeing Meryl Streep be a mother or a partner really at all mm-hmm. in this film. So... Until her monologue in uh, the courtroom scene where they are, you know, engaging in the custody battle, she's either a villain or a phantom. I I have something to say about that. Let's stick a pin in that. Okay. So I don't know how it could possibly be fair to both sides because we only see one side of this. Yeah. Honestly, watching it this time, what it struck me as is a movie made by men. Mm -hmm. And it was everybody involved from the novelist to the director to the... Dustin Hoffman was very involved in the making of this movie. Mm -hmm. All men Mm -hmm. of the era trying to be fair to both sides. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) But but failing. Yes, pretty much. I mean, I think there's a, a moment between Dustin Hoffman and his son where, you know, the little boy is in bed and he's crying and he basically asks, you know, did mommy leave because of me or like because I was was bad? bad. Mm -hmm. And I think Dustin Hoffman's speech there. (laughs) That is the best moment of clarity in the movie. A really insightful moment of like, I was trying to make her something that she wasn't. And I thought because I was happy, she was happy. And that was not true. I I don't know whether this is going to make any sense, but I'll try to explain it to you, okay? I think the reason why mommy left was because for a long time now, I've kept trying to make her be a certain kind of person, Philly. A certain kind of of wife that I thought she was supposed to be. And she just wasn't like that. She was... She just wasn't like that. And now that I think about it, I think that she tried for so long to make me happy. And when she couldn't, she tried to talk to me about it, see? But I wasn't listening because I was too busy. I was too... I was happy. That meant she was happy. But I think underneath, she was very sad. Mommy stayed here longer than she wanted to, I think, because she loves you so much. And the reason why Mommy couldn't stay anymore was because she couldn't stand me, Billy. She didn't leave because of you. She left because of me. And he says... 
Mommy left because she couldn't stand me. (laughs) (laughs) Which, it is a great moment of honesty. And, like, I was too busy to listen. And so, yeah, so that moment sort of redeemed that character and the sort of portrayal. Because before that, it was, and this is very much in, like, you know, the Mr. Mom era and Three Men. Yeah, exactly. The the whole idea of a man being a parent Right, I'm making French toast in a coffee mug. It's like, okay, you're not (laughs) mentally disabled. You know that you need a bowl to make French toast. You know that bread is not And you can't just fold bread. So that part where I'm just like, okay. And it's, it's, He's a parent for about five right. minutes yeah. before he loses his shit yeah. and just blows up. So I have very little patience with that whole... And, and he's clearly never made his child no. breakfast before no. in his life. Or even made his own breakfast, we suspect. But it's also, he can't but even make coffee. That's a... You know how to do... Like, they're just very... <laughs> like, you just know how to do that. That does not take... Like, fine, you don't know how to, like, darn socks. Okay, we can talk about that. But, like, you can't... I don't know. I never had the kind of wife who made my breakfast for me every day. That you know how to do it. Maybe I wouldn't know how to do it either. Not to. Because (laughs) maybe I would lean into that. You'd lean into a hot frying pan because I would throw it at you. (laughs) And then he drops his kid off at school and is like, What grade are you in? So this It's hard for me to fathom and maybe there were fathers like this who were just totally checked out, but it's just like you don't just sort of basic I mean, I think there were. I don't think it's exaggerated Mm -hmm. in the way that, like, like I think Mr. Mom Mm -hmm. is exaggerated. Mm -hmm. I don't think this is exaggerated. I mean, my father was fairly checked out. Okay. He he could have made, he actually made good breakfast. That was the only time he ever cooked for us was on weekends he'd make (laughs) breakfast. I'm not sure he would have known what grade I was in. Okay. Okay, let's talk a little background about this movie. Okay. And it's not going to improve your opinion of anything. All right. I think we talked earlier, and if we didn't this week, we did when we did Tootsie about allegations against Dustin Hoffman and that kind of thing. We definitely did during Tootsie. The stories surrounding this movie, he does not come out well either. Okay. Um, And a lot of this is taken from an article in Vanity Fair called How Meryl Streep Battled Dustin Hoffman, Retold Her Role, and Won Her First Oscar by Michael Shulman. It's an excerpt from his biography of Meryl Streep. So apparently Kate Jackson was originally going to play this role, but uh, Charlie's Angels would not let her out of shooting to do it. Okay. They offered it to all the big actresses at the time, Faye Dunaway, Jane Fonda, Allie McGraw. They all turned it down. Streep was basically nobody at this point. Mm -hmm. She'd done a lot of New York theater and been very well respected. She'd had a small part in Julia with Jane Fonda. She had a small part in Woody Allen's Manhattan. And she'd won an Emmy for the TV miniseries Holocaust. But this was really her big film debut. Um, I think she had already she had already filmed The Deer Hunter, but it wasn't out yet. So mm-hmm. this was her, her breakthrough. And according to her, they didn't want her for this part. She She talked about going into a room and meeting with... Robert Benton, the director, and Dustin Hoffman. And she went in kind of with a lot of attitude and said, you guys have this character wrong. You've made her the villain. You've made her very selfish. Mm -hmm. If you want me to do this part, I want to have some rewrites done on the character Mm -hmm. and, and make the character a little more sympathetic. They apparently barely knew who she was and were like, why is this person coming in and making demands? <laughs> making demands. Mm-hmm. Um, Robert Benton said it was, for all intents and purposes, the worst meeting anybody ever had with anybody. <laughs> all right. But Meryl Streep had been in a relationship with John Cazale, uh, who you know is Fredo. Fucking Fredo. <laughs> And from Dog Day Afternoon. Mm -hmm. They had been in love for two years, and then he had died of lung cancer Mm -hmm. a few months before all of this happened. Mm -hmm. Dustin Hoffman knew that and thought Meryl Streep would be able to use that in this movie. Okay. Use this grief Mm -hmm. and guilt and everything in this movie. So that, depending who you believe, is one of the reasons she was hired for this part. Mm -hmm. Hoffman, by the way, was also in the middle of his own divorce from his first wife, actress Anne Byrne, so... A lot of stuff going on behind the scenes here. But Hoffman was also, and I think we've talked about this before too, one of these method acting guys. So he was very much about using your mm-hmm. stuff. And the stories coming out from this, the shooting of this movie are of him tormenting Meryl Streep to get a better performance out of her. It's fucking Meryl Streep. Right. <laughs> 
<laughs> she doesn't need your help. Um, he, and this is all allegedly, whether he's denied this or not, I don't know. Uh, Meryl has confirmed most of it. He, the very first scene they shot together, which is the very first scene in the film, right before they shot, he slapped her. Oh my God. Just out of nowhere, just slapped her across the face. And then was like, okay, now act. In a couple of scenes, including that early scene where she's leaving when she gets on the elevator and scenes in the courtroom, he apparently started badgering her about John Cazale's death. Hmm. Trying to get her to... Trying to get it mm-hmm. out of her, right. Mm-hmm. Don't we have uh, a union? Somebody we can... <laughs> this, it's totally this, inappropriate. The scene in the restaurant, he didn't warn her he was going to smash the glass against the wall two inches mm-hmm. from her head. Mm-hmm. Like, all of this all throughout this movie was going on. And as you say, she's Meryl Streep. She didn't need she all of this. And that's apparently what she said to him. is like, you know, whatever you need to do for your performance, fine. I'm a, I am got my performance. Right. I don't need this shit. Who is it? What's that quote that you... Like, it's called acting. Lawrence Olivier. <laughs> yeah, like, just fucking act, with him on Worked with him on Marathon Man. Said, you know, my dear boy, have you tried acting? Like, that's an It's so much easier. Yeah. Yeah. And he apparently did some of the same shit with everybody else in the movie, too. Including Billy. Including Justin Henry. Mm-hmm. Um, apparently the way this was handled was all direction with the kid went through him mm-hmm. and a lot of it was improvised and it was basically, you know, he was kind of directing those scenes with the kid, mm-hmm. but making the kid cry, <laughs> saying whatever oh. he needed to say to make the kid cry, that kind of stuff. Margaret, the neighbor, Gail Strickland was originally hired to play and she either quit or was replaced because she couldn't work with Dustin Hoffman because yeah. he made her too nervous and it was just not her way of working. Yeah. Um, Jane Alexander, who played the part, basically said, yeah, Dustin's like that, but I kind of enjoy it. Like, I I can work with that. Sure, yeah. Oh, so what I started to say is the speech you were talking about in the courtroom Mm -hmm. and her final speech at the end of the movie, Meryl Streep wrote. Okay, okay. Those those were her rewrites of, and those were the things that she said, you've got her wrong. Mm -hmm. And we'll talk about that when we get to those scenes, but... Yeah, so tension in this movie, <laughs> sexual dynamic mm-hmm. problems in this movie, yeah. Okay, so let's let's go through this movie a little bit. Okay. I mean, to be fair, and it's, again, the problem we have is that the movie is written by men and directed by men and everything, but she does abandon her kid. That's sure. the very first yeah. thing we see her do. Yes. I mean, I think that first scene, the first maybe, I don't know. 10 to 15 minutes or so of the film are actually really well done in sort of showing two people who have obviously been in very different relationships. So we see Dustin Hoffman's character at work sort of chopping it up with his colleagues and sort of absentmindedly um, realizing that, oh, it's late and I need to go home. And we see... And he's he's on top of the world. And he's, yeah, because he's just getting... He says it's one of the five best um, days of my life. You know, uh, this new contract with his, like, advertising firm or something. Mm Mm-hmm. So, yeah, he's feeling great. He's talking about buying a Burberry coat. Right. And then cut to Meryl Streep at home, you know, packing, obviously has been in tears the whole time. There's this beautiful moment where she's sort of telling Billy that she loves him while he's sleeping in bed. Um, and it's lit really wonderfully yeah, because that's it's, a it's just sort of her scene. face against mm-hmm. blackness, like just darkness. And that's when you sort of first realize that she's le- she's going to leave him. Like, she's not going to be taking Billy with yeah. her. And so she's packing up and then waiting for the moment um, for Dustin Hoffman to sort of come home so that she can say, I'm leaving. Mm-hmm. And even when he gets home, he's so sort of wrapped up in his own life and, you know, the events of the day that he doesn't realize that, you know, she's packed the suitcase and is sitting by the door. Yeah. She's standing there near tears and basically saying, I'm leaving you. Kit. Yeah, one second. Let me just do this. You know Jack Edrich over in accounting? He committed suicide. Yeah, hi. Ted Kramer. Listen, I got to get those photos from the retoucher by tomorrow morning, okay? I'm leaving you. Honey, please. I, I, I can't hear. What? Okay, you too. Thanks a lot. See you tomorrow. You guys eat? Ted, I'm leaving you. Ted. Keys. What? Here are my keys. Here's my American Express card. Here's my Bloomingdale's credit card. Here's my checkbook. I've taken $2,000 out of our savings account because that's what I had in the bank when we first got married. Was this some kind of joke? Here's the cleaning. Here's the laundry ticket. You can pick them both up on Saturday. You. You have to Joe, pick them up on Saturday. Joe, you want to tell me what's the matter? I've paid the rent. I've paid Joe. the Con Ed bill. And I've paid the uh, phone bill, so... Well, you really pick your time, Steve. 
Well, I'm sorry that uh, I was late, but I was busy making a living, all right? Come on, okay? Can we stop now? So, that's everything. And she's like, no. he, he, he doesn't take her seriously. No, not at he all. He thinks, oh, oh she's, she's mad because I was a late. Fit. Yeah, and she'll and, get over you know, it. she's trying to get attention, yeah. you know. Um, and so you have this, this moment of where you sort of see the handoff of the domestic labor of the relationship. So she she lays out, she's like, here are all my credit cards. Mm-hmm. Here is the ticket for the dry cleaning. You have to pick the dry cleaning up on Saturday. Here is this, and you have to do this. And then she's like, yeah. and I'm leaving. And so he finally sort of starts believing her. And I guess this is when they have that moment where he slaps her to get her yeah. uh, to whatever place he thought he need, she needed to be. But she does say she's very much like, you know, you married the wrong person. I can't do this. Yeah. And he asks, you know, well, what about Billy? And she says, I'm I'm not a good mother. You know, I don't have the patience. She says, if you make me go back in that like, apartment, I'm going to jump out the I'm window. I'm going to jump out the yeah. window. And says that, you know, Billy is better off without me. Yeah. So she absolutely does leave her child. And she absolutely does say, I can't be his mother. Right. So. And then right before the elevator door is closed, she says, and I don't love you yes. anymore. So as Margaret says a little later, she fucked up one of the five best days of your life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So then he still isn't really taking this seriously. No. He tells everyone basically, oh. She'll be back. She's had a, we had a tiff. Yeah. You know, you she know, didn't even take her suitcase. Stuff. She yeah. didn't take her suitcase because you took her suitcase right. out of her hands yeah. and wouldn't give it back to her. Mm-hmm. He does call up Margaret and accuses her of. Inciting. Inciting the, with yeah. the sisterhood, mm-hmm. he says. Mm-hmm. Very defensive. He's like, yeah. you and my wife have obviously had conversations about my shortcomings, et cetera, et cetera. Well, and then, you know, this is when it's further sort of building the narrative against Meryl Streep's character when he says, you know, how much courage does it take to walk away from your kid? Right. Um, and it, which is a really sort of damning statement. Which is true, but again, flip the genders. Right. And it wouldn't even be a movie. No. no. Men leaving their children. Happens all the time. Well, and he technically had left his child a long time ago. Right. He was in the home, but he wasn't there. So right. Okay, so then, yes, we have that first morning <laughs> with Billy. It's a hard day. Daddy's got to bring home the bacon and cook it, too. <laughs> the first day of bachelor existence. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it doesn't, doesn't go well. It does then not. You take no. the bread, and we, uh, we, uh, we, uh, um, we fold it. That's what we do. We fold the French toast. I think you forgot the milk. I didn't. Uh, milk comes last. I always got to put the milk in last. When you're having a good time, you forget the most important thing, right? I just want to see if you were paying attention. It's been a long time since I made this. That's fun, isn't it? When's the last time Mommy let you in the kitchen? I don't like it when it's in pieces. Look, the French toast tastes the same whether it's in pieces or whether it's whole. I mean, bread is bread, you know? Besides, what you don't know is, is that French toast is always folded. You go into the best restaurants anywhere in the world and you see folded French toast. You get more bites that way, right? <laughs> and while that's going, Daddy's going to make a little bit of coffee for himself. You having a good time? Are you? All right, we're having a great time. I don't remember the last time I I ever had such a good time. Dad's going to make himself a little coffee. It's too much coffee. No, 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 no. I like it strong. And Mommy always makes it too weak. Can I have some orange juice? Orange juice, right. Right, one of OJ coming up. What the kid? So uh, what do you what do you think of, of Dustin's parenting? I mean, it is serviceable at best. You know, we have the sort of we, we watch them sort of develop a partnership over the course of the film, um, and sort of, you know, get into a routine of things. So he is a disaster at the beginning and he can't cook breakfast and he doesn't know what grade his child is in. And he is short with Billy mm-hmm. and I do like to anger. Ho- Hoffman is good. Yes. No, he's and, I, and I, good. I like that scene that first morning. He's being so manically upbeat. Mm-hmm. Like, isn't this fun? We're having a great time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> trying to convince the kid, but also I think trying to convince, convince himself, himself yeah. a little bit. Yeah. And then, yeah, like I said, he just blows up at the end when mm-hmm. he just can't manage it. Yeah, but so then over the course of our time with the two of them, we see them become closer. We see uh, Dustin Hoffman become a quote-unquote good father. Well, so that's my question. I mean, that is sort of the narrative of this movie mm-hmm. is that he learns to be... 
a good father and a loving father and all that. Did that work for you? Um, I mean, within the constraints of a film that's, you know, two hours long, sure. Mm, He became a good father. Okay. But... You know, being a father for 18 months is not right. a whole lot. Of Which is what Meryl Streep says in <laughs> right. the courtroom just, scene. She yeah. says, I did it for six years. Right. He did it you for did a it for year 18 and a half. Months. Yeah. So, and I'm also not in the habit of congratulating people for being parents. Like, you had a fucking child. So, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> you should. Do you be, want a medal? You should be a parent. Um, mm-hmm. So, I think, and I think we tend to do that, particularly with fathers. Oh, when yeah, fathers absolutely. show up, it's like, oh, that's great. The dad came to the school. Like, he's the only father in the audience when Billy's doing his terrible Thanksgiving play or whatever it is mm-hmm. in like a sea of mothers and so it's supposed to be this moment of like oh this father is you know and it's just yeah. like well you should be that's your right. child and so it's all it's a little bit hard for me to be like this is amazing it's like no you're you're doing what you're supposed to be doing <laughs> all through the movie Billy says you know well the other mothers yeah. let us do this what did you think of the kid um you're hard on child actors I'm hard on children period <laughs> um which is probably why it's good that I don't have any I am quick to be annoyed. I I think I expect an emotional maturity out of them that is not fair. So You expect maturity? Emotional maturity, yes. So when he's like having his little tantrum (laughs) moment, it's like, if you don't get your shit together, like, we're trying to make this work, dude. But it's totally fair for, what is he, like seven? Yeah. For a seven-year-old boy to be having a total (laughs) mental and emotional breakdown because his whole world was just torn Mm. apart, right? And I'm like, I don't have time for this shit. Um... (laughs) Put you in the wall. And then, and this is probably also indicative of how I was raised. I had a mom who did not become a mom. She was just always herself, and I had to adjust. You, right. So that moment when Dustin Hoffman and Billy are sitting at the table eating dinner, and the kid's like, and it's a TV. the the ice cream scene. Yeah, That's and the, the kid's like, scene. I don't want to eat this. I want ice cream. And Dustin Hoffman's like, you can't have ice cream until you eat your dinner. And the kid, like, in the most dickish way possible... Just makes very deliberate moves. It's like, I'm going to get out of my chair and I'm going to look at you and I'm going to walk and take the chair over to the freezer and I'm going to look back mm-hmm. at you and then I'm going to open the freezer and I'm going to. This gonna is what child psychologists would say is testing, testing boundaries. boundaries. Mm-hmm. Takes the fucking ice cream and the whole time Dustin Hoffman's like, don't do that. If you do that, don't do that. You're in so much and which, trouble and if I'm you do like, that. My, you know, again, my mom comes out where I'm just like, that kid's ass, I would have whooped his ass. <laughs> <laughs> We would have been slap boxing in that moment. So I do think the kid is great in that. He's fantastic. Like he's he's staring at Dustin Hoffman as he slowly lifts that spoon to his mouth. But it's perfectly done, (laughs) and it's totally what a kid would do. Warning: you take one bite out of that, you're in big trouble. Don't hey, don't you dare! Don't you dare do that! Did you hear me? Hey, stop! Hold it right there. You put that ice cream in your mouth, and you are in very, very, very big trouble. Don't you dare go anywhere beyond that. Put it down right now. I am not going to say it again. I am not going to say it again. I am not. Ow! Don't you kick me. You're no bargaining town. You are a spoiled, rotten little brat. And I'll tell you right now, I hate you. And I hate you back, you little shit. I want my money. I'm all you've got. And so, yeah, and it's, you know, then they have the I hate you and I hate you too moment. Yeah. and it's, it's Which was a, a shocking moment, yeah. actually, for the time. I remember yeah. that. You did not hear parents say that to their children yeah. in movies. Mm-hmm. You know, the kid says, I hate you. And he says, I hate you right back, yeah. you little shit. Yeah. <laughs> so. Like that sort of raw honesty mm-hmm. in parenting was, was new mm-hmm. to the screen, I think. So the fact that I was, you know, deeply annoyed with Billy <laughs> means that he did an excellent job portraying a child going through a divorce. <laughs> I did think he was really good. I had yeah. remembered that he was nominated for this. And sometimes that's, you know, you nominate the cute kid. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But I actually do think he's really good in this he movie. He is. Yeah. So the whole middle of the movie is just him learning to parent, mm-hmm, basically. and. Mm-hmm. But in that, we seem to be creating this narrative of, like, debunking the myth that you can have it all, which has tended to be about women being able to be breadwinners and also mothers and also, you know, partners. Right. And so you have Dustin Hoffman, who is now stepping up to, like, the bare minimum (laughs) of (laughs) fatherhood, and we see that it's affecting his work. Yeah, he's totally falling apart at work. Yeah. He's late for meetings. Mm -hmm. He misses deadlines. Mm -hmm. He's, yeah. He has to leave for, like, PTA things Mm -hmm. and whatnot, so he gets fired. (laughs) 
Now, as someone I saw pointed out, we never see him like hire a babysitter or anything. Like, well, that's one of the maybe things. That what, I was there like, maybe yeah. might have been other ways I to deal with this. I was actually a little bit like, why wouldn't he, he have just sort of thrown some money at the problem? Because that would have been a very sort of you right. know, white upper class thing to do. Is just like, okay, just pay somebody <laughs> to watch the kid, right? And, t- and so you can go focus on work with that. And there were other parts of it where it's just like, okay, well. And this may have been a reflection of just the time and where our legal system was with regards to custody. But it's just like, why? Like, can't they just do a better joint custody? Yeah, agreement than uh, this. But so, yeah. Again, we're jumping ahead, but this the movie was criticized mm-hmm. for that. Mm-hmm. Um, for like the final verdict in the trial was way harsh mm-hmm. on him. Yeah, and legal experts at the time said. This movie's like twenty years out of date. Mm, okay. Like that would that kind of custody arrangement would not happen yeah. today. Yeah. But yeah, so he loses his job and in true, you know, white man fashion is like, <laughs> I'll have a job tomorrow. And he does. <laughs> yeah. He basically berates it's just someone that easy. <laughs> to, <laughs> to hire him immediately. This is the Christmas party scene yeah. that excuses us watching this movie in December. Yes. Yes. Um, he, you know, crashes a Christmas party at this office, basically, and badgers them into hiring him mm-hmm. on the spot. Mm-hmm. And they do, because he he's sa- just that damn amazing. He says, I'm, you know, willing to take a pay cut, mm-hmm. but you need to decide right now. Yeah. Uh, but wait, we've skipped. We skipped over Joanna coming back, which is important. Yes, yeah, so she's been creeping and basically watching Billy from yeah. the... The coffee shop across Stalking from Stalking her own child. Yeah. And she finally arranges a little meeting and says... Hey, I want custody of my son. I went off to California. Mm-hmm. I found myself. Mm-hmm. I'm ready to be a mom again. And I want the kid back. Yes. And he does not take that well. No. Not so well. That's when he throws the glass against the wall and storms mm-hmm. out. Yeah. So then the custody battle begins, which is why when he loses his job, that's a problem. Yeah. And he has to run out and get. A new job on the spot for less money, just mm-hmm. so he's employed. Right. Oh, we also skipped over his uh, his one love affair that he has. I wouldn't use the word love. Dalliance. Dalliance mm-hmm. with uh, Joe Beth Williams. Yeah. Known to you as Carol Ann's mom. Right. Um, so I don't think she was done a service in this film. Her character just, I don't know what purpose she served other than to be naked. Mm-hmm. And have that moment where she's naked in front of Billy, and they have to sit there and talk about stand there and talk about chicken while she's naked. Um, I do like that scene though, because that is the sort of random thing a kid says to you out of nowhere. Hi, hi. What's your name? I'm Phyllis Barnard. Who? I'm a friend, a business associate of your father's dad. Oh, jeez. Do you like fried chicken? Fried chicken, very much. So do I. Um, well, I, it's really, it, uh, it's been nice seeing you and, uh. Bye. Un- bye. Kramer, I just met your son. Okay, so then we're into the courtroom scenes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, I mean, it's pretty brutal when she's on the stand. Dustin Hoffman's lawyer is, um cross-examining her, he, you know, really goes for the jugular and just, you know, what kind of woman walks out on her child mm-hmm. and then gets into her personal life and is like, how many men have you been with mm-hmm. since you've been divorced? And and it's also, I mean, you talk about the low bar mm-hmm. for men. Mm-hmm. He starts off asking her about Dustin Hoffman and he says, did he beat you up? Right. Was he a drunk? Did he cheat? Did he cheat on you? Mm-hmm. And she says no to all of that and he says, oh. How could you possibly have a problem with well, your marriage? Right. Yeah. Like that's, you know, what could she possibly have to complain about right. if he was paying the bills and not beating her up drunkenly? Mm-hmm. The idea that she might want something else <laughs> is... Unheard of. Unheard of. Yes. And I don't think the movie... I do think, like, that speech she has there that Meryl Streep wrote helps. Mm-hmm. Mrs. Kramer, can you tell the court why you are asking for custody? Because he's my child. And because I love him. I know I left my son. I know that that's a terrible thing to do. Believe me, I have to live with that every day of my life. But in order to leave him, I had to believe that it was the only thing I could do and that it was the best thing for him. I was incapable of functioning in that home and I didn't know 
what the alternative was going to be. So I thought it was not best that I take him with me. However, I've since gotten some help. And I have worked very, very hard to become a whole human being. And I don't think I should be punished for that. And I don't think my little boy should be punished. Billy's only seven years old. He needs me. I'm not saying he doesn't need his father. But I really believe he needs me more. I don't think the movie really deals with what her issues were, or what she was looking for, no, it's who she wants to be, vague. or any of that. Yeah, um, and I think it treats her as neurotic mm-hmm. the entire way through. Mm-hmm. I don't think there's any point in the movie at which we look at her and say, this is a stable yeah. woman who should have custody of this child. Right. Well, it doesn't help that at the end of the film, after it's been decided that she will be granted primary custody. <laughs> right. <laughs> she, after Billy is literally packed and waiting for her to come and get him, she gets to the apartment and is like, I thought about it. This is Billy's home. He should stay here. Right. With you. Woke up this morning. Kept thinking about Billy, and you know? I... I was thinking about him waking up in his room and with his little clouds all around that I painted and I thought I should have painted clouds downtown because then he would think that he was waking up at home. I came here to take my son home. And I realize he already is home. Let me go upstairs and explain to him again again that that I'm I'm leaving leaving and I don't want him. Yeah. Yeah. That was the other speech that Meryl Streep rewrote. Mm -hmm. And that was one of the things that, you know, she told them in the beginning, you got wrong about this. Mm -hmm. Originally, apparently, that speech was her saying something like, I realized that I was fighting for Billy because it's what I was supposed to do, not Mm. because it's what I wanted to do. Mm -hmm. So it was a very selfish, it's Mm -hmm. all about me, 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 me. I wonder if that actually would have been more interesting. If they had just just leaned into her being... Maybe. I'm not interested in being a mom. Right. (laughs) That may have been a little bit more revolutionary. Actually, now that you say say, that, that might have been interesting. I I just don't. You know what? Tried it. Not interested (laughs) in doing it. I'm going to go to California and work and, like, have fun and sleep with 15 fucking dudes. And, you know, that may have been... At least it would have been... At least it's a fucking ethos, right? Like, it would have been been a decision. And maybe she would have felt a bit more solid. Mm -hmm. Um, But I understand why Meryl approached it this way because it does give her a little bit more depth and nuance. But I, um, I and it would, makes her more sympathetic. And it makes certainly. her more sympathetic. But I would almost, I wonder how it would have been if she just was like full on, like, mm, yeah, you know what? <laughs> I thought this was the role that I thought I was supposed to play. And so I've gone through this whole thing. And you know what? I just, I'm not interested in having mm-hmm. a child. Which again, men do all the time. All the time. That father thing, not for me. Not interested in doing it. Yeah. Good luck taking me to court. Right. So. Hmm. Okay, maybe we should remake this movie. I don't want to remake Kramer versus Kramer. <laughs> and here's the thing is like, I you know, I mentioned at the beginning that it was a little bit hard to connect because for me, this sort of fight is very sort of, this sort of second wave feminism fight of like earning the right to work outside the home wasn't really a big fight for black and brown women. Like we had been working outside yeah, the home right. and taking care of our families, oftentimes taking care of other people's families, quite frankly, so I, it was also just like, like that wasn't my moment. That wasn't, you know, the moment that would resonate with me because like, well, my mom worked mm-hmm. and was, and it was actually a single mother um, for a good chunk of my childhood. And so that just wasn't a battle. Well, that I connected my, with. my mother didn't until my parents got divorced yeah. and then she suddenly had to, Yeah, you know, and that was just a few years after this. Mm-hmm. So I think it. I think it's a very particular perspective mm. of like what the quote unquote like defining fight around feminism was. Like some people were fighting for to earn the right to work outside, and there were many women, particularly women of color, who were already there. Like we were already working and taking care mm. of our families. So. So did you have sympathy for her? Mm. I mean, I, I sympathize with the fact that she was in a marriage that obviously was not fulfilling mm. to her, and that she was 
you know, struggling with the love for her child and the idea that that could be decoupled from her marriage. So, I mean, yes, I, I could sympathize with her. Well, what about him then? I mean, because like, again, like... Did you like him separating from the Dustin Hoffman issues, mm -hmm. the character? No. No. Because I think... I Yeah, it's hard for me to root for someone who is only doing the thing that they were supposed to be doing because they were sort of forced into it. Mm -hmm. And kind of wants a medal for and it. And definitely wants to be acknowledged and congratulated for right. it. So, yeah. Yeah, no, I agree with you. I don't think he's a particularly likable no. character. No. And it's not like this isn't, you know, what, 15, 20 years after Atticus Finch? I mean, <laughs> you don't get a medal for being a single dad. <laughs> Atticus had help. That's true. He didn't <laughs> cover you. <laughs> I'll tell you what I did like in this movie that I had sort of forgotten about, and I think it's still rare today. We see an actual supportive, platonic friendship between a man and a woman. Mm, yes. With him and Jane Alexander's Margaret. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. No, they have a really tender, beautiful friendship um, that grows and deepens because it starts out she really does not care for him because she's only heard. Right. And vice versa. And vice Right. What, you know. He thinks she's a feminist exactly. shrew. Um, and they actually do become friends to the point where he's like, you know, if something happens to me, I want you to yeah. be the person to, you know, take care of my, take care of Billy. So. And I think the first time you see them together being friends, you think, oh, maybe they're going to get together mm -hmm. or something. Mm -hmm. And there's no hint of that no. at any point. No. It really is just this sort of parenting friend. Yeah. What about the uh, big dramatic playground scene? The I mean, keep an eye on your kid, but <laughs> kids fall. It happens. <laughs> you know. Don't be such a drama queen Don't about such, it. Like, you know, we all busted open our heads <laughs> at one point or another during our childhood. So, <laughs> And at that time, all the play the actual equipment was, like, not safe. Like, those were metal bars <laughs> and shit. Like, it's just so... Pavement right, like, below. No, the kid was going to break something at some point. So, And now he has a cool scar to match his emotional scars, which is nice. <laughs> Gonna need a lot of therapy. Oh, definitely. I was thinking about because we just recently watched Close Encounters, and mm -hmm. you were that kid talking about the parenting yeah. and the father Jesus. in that. And... A lot of shitty fathers lately. <laughs> I mean, Meryl Streep's bad, but she didn't go to space. Yeah, no, that's that's and different. leave her yeah. kid behind. It's degrees, really. <laughs> and see, there the father has been celebrated. It's like, oh, he did this awesome thing. He went to space. Mm -hmm. like, she just went to California. Right. <laughs> So you think this family is going to be uh, okay going forward? I mean, they'll be fine. Most of us are children of divorce. We cope. <laughs> Those of us who want therapy, go get it. Those of us who don't, just, you know, pass our trauma on to others. Drink. <laughs> and I'm also a firm believer in, like, I'd rather have two happy parents that are divorced than two happy parents that are in the same home and miserable. And Oh, absolutely. I mean, two, you know, yeah. miserable parents who yeah. are together and so... I think my parents, they separated when I was like 12 and mm -hmm. I was really upset about it. Mm -hmm. And then my dad came back for a while and then I think they finally got divorced when I was 14. Mm -hmm. And by the time they got divorced, I was all for it. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, yep, yeah. let's just, let's call this, shall we? <laughs> my parents got divorced really early. You, get, you gave it a good, a good try. Yeah. So it wasn't, it didn't really hit me as like a huge thing that had happened. You were too young. Because I was too young. Mm -hmm. It was the sort of trying to figure out how my dad was going to play a part in my life. That was the part where, like, the trauma um, mm -hmm. happened. And even it was pretty early that I realized that those were two people that I don't even know how they were together long enough to conceive me, quite frankly. Because, like, they yeah. did not <laughs> together. So it is much better that they are divorced. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Anything else to say about Kramer versus Kramer? Meryl looked fabulous. Not to demand, I mean, she was obviously her excellent self in terms of her craft. Like, yes. that goes without saying, but she also just looked amazing. She did look good. Yeah. I actually just read something that said she auditioned for the 76 uh, King Kong. Mm -hmm. Jessica Lang ended up playing mm -hmm. the part. But I actually just read that she auditioned and Dino De Laurentiis, um, who is Italian, apparently while she was standing there, said in Italian to someone, she's so ugly, why have you brought her to me? What? And Meryl Streep spoke Italian <laughs> and answered him in Italian and said, well, I'm sorry, I'm not attractive enough for you, but this is what it is. <laughs> in what universe is Meryl Streep? No, I think she's gorgeous, but yeah. She's a stunning woman. Yeah. Not that Jessica Lange is, isn't, but that's ridiculous. Like, I don't even... If, I, I don't even understand that, but okay. <laughs> she did all right for herself. So Yeah, I, I think she came out of that yeah. pretty well. 
So, Christmas movie? No. <laughs> that was super tangential. <laughs> it was a stretch, I admit. Again, it was the 40th anniversary. You know, I respect so. the swing, but it was definitely, yeah, weak. Weak connection there. I mean, dysfunctional family, that's very Christmassy to me. Dysfunctional family is year-round. That's not Christmassy. <laughs> That's our show. We want to thank you for listening, and we hope you'll join us again next week. Nakia, you made a couple of comments, I think, in our last episode about the inclusivity, or lack thereof, in our Christmas-adjacent project. This should be good. And, I, and I've and i decided you're right. Mm-hmm. So our next movie is going to be Hanukkah-adjacent. <laughs> okay. Except that it really isn't that either. Uh, It's about a Jewish family, and it's got a shit ton of snow in it, but otherwise it has even less to do with Hanukkah than Kramer vs. Kramer had to do with Christmas. Okay, so you're forcing diversity here. Uh, One could see it that way. Mm -hmm. However, in cities all over the country, movie theaters have been offering some alternative holiday programming (laughs) by having sing-along screenings of Fiddler on the Roof on Christmas Eve. (laughs) The Music Box right here in Chicago has done this several years, although I don't believe they're doing it this year. So we're going to have to watch it at home. I don't have to watch shit. You are, however, welcome to sing along. I will not be singing along. I will. I feel like that's a hate crime. Like, it's not meant for us to sing along. I know all the words. Mm-hmm. And we'll no doubt be singing them for weeks after watching this movie. In the meantime, you can find us on the web at unaffiliatedcritic.com, follow us on Twitter at Free Range Critic, and subscribe to the show through Apple Podcasts or your favorite app. In any of these places, we encourage you to leave a comment on the show or suggest a film Nakia desperately needs to see to make her life complete. Until next time, remember, true love means conning your partner into watching movies they really, really don't want to watch. Couldn't find a Kwanzaa movie? <laughs> For example? That's not my job. <laughs> Would your, you like to nominate? It's your job what, what to is find your, let me ask the you, film. What is your favorite Kwanzaa movie? That's not my job. <laughs> it's your... I'm, black people are tired of teaching white people. It is your job to find... So you can't, you can't name That's a single, not what I said. I said I'm not going to do Kwanzaa movie the intellectual you. labor okay. in this moment for you. Okay. That's what I'm saying. We can switch seats. You can you introduce know? me to a beloved Kwanzaa classic. Again, you keep you know using me as your black correspondent, and I don't appreciate it. So, no. <laughs> then we're watching Fiddler on the Roof. All right.